Hi, Jenna. Hi, Bart. Hey, this is, uh, so this is Jenna Itkar speaking, and I'm here with Bart Delaro, right? That's right. Yeah, that's good. I did it. And uh, we have a sort of interesting uh, story here in the sense that I uh, used to go to Bart's DVD rental store uh, for years and years and years. And then um, we sort of met on Letterboxd uh, with reviews. And we both realized that, like, we totally have very similar taste in movies. And we very much so enjoy the 60s. And so we decided to start talking about it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know if I noticed you were watching a, a lot of 60s movies and then I decided to follow you, but uh, I don't very quickly noticed that, uh, excluding singing cowboys, we, we seem to have uh, a, a, a lot of uh, similar interests. Oh, Although, man. You know, <laughs> I, I, on, I honestly, I've never really given, given singing cowboys a shot, so... I, I, I kind of went through a phase last year. I think <laughs> I think it was a culmination of a lot of things. Well, all right. So I figure, like, let's start and let's sort of get to know each other. And and uh, we, um, you know, again, uh, I, we've exchanged a couple of comments and emails, but we've never actually really talked. This is the first time we've spoken via uh, the, the internet uh, with our voices. So that's something. Yeah. It's exciting. This is um, this this is history as it's happening, <laughs> or something. All right. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit about about our history. Um, what was let's say the pivotal moment that tipped you over the edge from being just another movie obsessive to wanting to actually open up a DVD rental store and and do this full time? Honestly, it was uh, giving up on my dreams that 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 really made me want to open my own video store. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was, I was living in New York city and uh, trying to, I was doing some film production work there and hating it and, and trying to write some screenplays and not liking what I was writing. And, you know, I love watching movies and I'd been working in video stores for quite some time. And, and I thought, you know what, Th that's what I'm good at. I'm, I'm good at being a, a video store guy. So that was what really, you know, when when uh, when my friend Greg said, "Hey Bart, you want to open a, a video store in Brunswick, Maine?" Uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'm ready. I think, uh, you know, I think I think my dreams of of becoming a, a filmmaker are, uh, are, uh, have been have been squashed, and uh, and I'm ready to to you know do do what I know I'm good at." <laughs> <laughs> That's not the answer you expected, was it? I mean, on one hand, I think that that's kind of the answer to most people's why are you doing the thing that you're doing unless you've hit the lottery. So, <laughs> uh, but that's well, that's kind of interesting. But then you ended up doing it for how for like a decade, right? Uh, my store was open for 15 years. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So you must have liked it on some level. No, I I love it. I I, I mean. Really, I'm a, I'm a collector more than anything, and I just wanted the best video collection, you know, anywhere. And, uh, and you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, of, you know, the state of Maine, I, I think I, uh, you know, I, I probably was, uh, was top of the pack anyway. 
There's video port in Portland, but I think we gave them a pretty good run for their money. Why? Well, yeah. Why did you choose Maine? Uh, I went to school in Maine, and I lived here for a while after I graduated, and uh, then I, you know, I gave up on New York City and, and decided to move back. Are you from Maine? No, I'm from Albany. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm I'm a New Yorker. All right. I knew I liked you. <laughs> you're you're from Brooklyn. Yeah, born born and raised before it was too cool. Yeah, being from Albany, New York, I'm actually it's, I'm not really from New York. I you know I go other places and people would ask where I was from and I'd say New York, and when I said no, not the city, Albany, people would be disappointed. So, <laughs> and I think New Yorkers have the same view of uh, upstaters as well. It's like oh, you're not really a New Yorker. Oh yeah, you're you're I mean you're a disappointment, but you know. <laughs> Why do you come to Maine so frequently? My dad uh, was born and raised on a farm, a dairy farm in Maine. And uh, his uh, mother is actually uh, an artist who is very well known in Maine specifically. <laughs> and uh, Dolive Ipcar, if anyone wants to Google it. And uh, she's wonderful. She's a great artist. Actually, this totally bohemian lifestyle they she was born in new york city in greenwich village to two parents who ran in picasso circle uh who were both artists and raised their children to be just uh you know bohemian artists like you know the most important thing to them was was art and uh she sort of uh semi-rebelled became like the first uh you know, hipster in the sense that she, when she got married at a fairly young age, she moved, she decided we're going to move to, to, uh, uh, Georgetown, Maine and live off mm -hmm. the land. So they had no electricity for like decades. I think my dad grew up with no electricity until about the fifties. <laughs> so it was like really much like this sort of like, we're just going to like rough it. But then at the same time, on top of running a dairy farm, she still painted her whole life. So, uh, and she uh, lived to be 99, and she died uh, the other year, unfortunately. But um, So part of it was I'd go to Maine all the time. It was uh, kind to of a family, her. yeah, to see her mm -hmm. and, and my uncle. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a family trip that you thought, you think when you're a kid might end at some point, and then it just never did. <laughs> <laughs> but I really love Maine, so it's, it's, you know, it's great going up. Yeah, my, uh, my son actually has uh, several books signed by your uh, your grandmother signed to him oh yeah yeah they he he went to a signing that she had a few years ago and uh, i unfortunately didn't didn't go but uh, we've we've got the books nice how did you get interested in movies where did uh, where did that passion begin probably the moment where i started to get really obsessive about movies was in college because i uh was was deeply lonely <laughs> So talking about sort of starting something from uh, out of a place of mis miserable acceptance, I, I had a similar experience in that I basically, especially in junior year of college, I had transferred um, out to the Midwest totally on a whim. And uh, I didn't know anybody there. And so, you know, you get it's boring. <laughs> so I started to rent movies nonstop and I was watching movies, you know, on top of school it was like I had nothing else to do I didn't know anyone I couldn't seem to meet people because this funny enough when you say you're from New York in the Midwest people get very angry with you yeah I believe that 
uh, I swear I was being nice, but you know, so uh, it was it was frustrating, and I ended up just watching movies obsessively. I lived right next to the library, and also there was the the school uh, film library, and uh, I started to watch enough of them that I sort of realized I should keep track of this because I'm just sort of there's there were so many. And uh, I ended up getting that app called Flickster, which used to be on Facebook, where you could just sort of write little star review in a couple sentences on what you thought about the film, just to sort of keep track of it. And by the end of two years, I think I had something like like 700 or, or something films, like pushing 800 that I had reviewed in those two years. And at that point, I was like, huh <laughs> like no number one this was this is fun but number two uh actually it actually you know other friends of mine started to notice and so uh my friend cody had reached out to me and said hey i'm starting a film review site uh i see that you are doing this uh quite often and i know that you're opinionated so <laughs> do you want to join and so yeah i was like cool and, and i started to you know spend more time writing and actually paying attention really reviewing something and and uh getting it out there and so one thing leads to another and i ended up continuing with it sticking with it thankfully i have uh, more friends now and more of a social life but it's something that i still get a real kick out of it really is is a lot of fun yeah i mean i think you movie fans have a reputation for being lonely people who uh, can't connect with with other humans and and that's why they uh they turn to movies and I'm not saying that's not true for me, but uh, I think it's I, I think there's more to it than that. Do you remember where you started with your um, like what did you what did you first start watching when you got to college and were started obsessively watching movies and, and did that morph into something else as you as you went along? Like were you watching the hot Hollywood hits at first? And I've I've always um, I've always had an interest. I like actors. And, you know, uh, in general. And so when I find an actor, actress, whatever, that you want to, uh, that I really like, I, I would go back and try and watch all of their films. So I already had a couple of these people that I was just very interested in, even more so than directors at the time. And so I would want to go back and see everything. And so now suddenly I realized, oh, I have access to all of this, where previously it was like renting out of Blockbuster or, you know, Hollywood Video and things that typically did not have what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I started to go down that sort of rabbit hole. And then after that, I, I ended up actually asking my mom, <laughs> like, hey, I, I'm running all these movies and I'm running out of things to watch that, you know, I'm, I can think of, like, give me, a, give me some, a list of movies that you really liked. And my mom and I in general have, have similar taste in a lot of things, uh, cultural. So I, I figured, you know, it's a pretty good place to start. And she gave me a pretty pretty decent list of movies that was sort of spanning a lot of different directors, a lot of different types of movies. And then once you, I started to get into that, I, I kind of, you start to pay attention more. You start to realize, gee, that movie was so bizarre that it was visually offensive. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, who is this Ken Russell guy? Like, what the, I don't know, something would click and I'd be like, oh, actually, I love this. <laughs> This is actually wonderful. And then once you do that, you start to watch those movies and then you start to look up, you know, on IMDb or, or otherwise, you know, like who's related to this or what are these actors that are in these movies that I keep seeing pairing up with these directors? What else right. have they done? Who else are they pairing up with? And so you start to follow these little rabbit holes. 
that eventually I do remember in college, by the end of college, thinking, oh, I've watched all the good movies. <laughs> I never felt that way. I, I, I don't think I've, I've ever you know, seen the, the, uh, you know, the end of, of where I wanted to go movie-wise. It's always been seemed like this sort of vast wilderness, the unconquerable wilderness. I, that's way, you had way more foresight and were way more intelligent than I was at the time. Because, I, I mean, that's the truth. Now I, I realize, like, you know, every day watching different movies, there's so much wonderful stuff out there that I never paid attention to. Well, you still do the actor thing, I, I've noticed, on, on Back Row. You know, Oliver Reed or Dean Martin, you, you seem to be uh, going through all his stuff lately. Yeah, I'm having a Dean Martin problem. <laughs> You're even suffering through all those Jerry Lewis movies to, oh, man. to I've, watch them all. I've actually decided I'm going to watch all of the Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin movies, and I'm very slowly working through that. Not at the same pace that I did with Elvis movies, but I'm going to do it. It's happening. I, I took the, the more... Uh traditional approach to uh to trying to watch all the movies i needed to watch i would you know get books like a thousand and one movies you need to see before you die or you know things like that the you know, hollowell's uh, list of four-star movies and and uh and that sort of thing and just make sure I, you know i just watched every single thing in there and the uh danny peary was a was a big influence on me early on are you familiar with Danny Perry, cult movies, and uh, Guide for the Film Fanatic? I am. I haven't. You know, it's funny. I've I've flipped through a lot of these books, written down a couple of things, and then forget. I forget to go back. <laughs> I really should. It's funny. I actually think that now, at this point, having spent, uh, I don't know, a decade ish watching movies since college i actually find that um i am now going back to these classics uh, i am trying to like get in i'm trying to fill all these gaps that i have that i sort of i let myself kind of run wild with the things that really appealed to me and then now i'm kind of pulling back and i'm finding that there's there's so much that i didn't expect would appeal that that totally does like uh like what for example what's what's been the, what's been a recent surprise something you, you... Never, never thought you'd enjoy, but you ended up really liking. Uh, probably these Dean Martin movies. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> part of um, part of working in video stores for so long is that you you're always watching something in the store. So there are, there are a lot of movies that I feel like I've seen, but I haven't necessarily sat down and watched them from beginning to end. Like when I watched uh, How to Succeed in Business without really trying, I thought, oh yeah, I know that movie. I know it just fine, but I, I really just know the songs from it because I've watched it in the store a bunch of times. But it was, you know, there's so much in there that I uh, that I didn't, you know, had had never really noticed before. I actually think that that movie is like that's the picture of the '60s that everyone everyone thinks of when they think of the '60s. Well, it's the Mad Men version of the '60s. Yeah, but even more so than I mean, even Mad Men. I love Mad Men. It was a great show. And I actually avoided watching it for so long because I thought that they were going, they thought that they were glamorizing it. And I, I didn't like that <laughs> because the sixties is full of so much horse shit. Quite mm -hmm. frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't that the point of the show? I watched the first season of it, but it seemed like the point was, Oh, look at, 
look at how bad things were back then. Look at how much we've changed since then, or have we? You know, that sort of thing. You know, they really highlight you know, the, uh, you know, the, the sexism and the racism. Just, you know, make it, make it far, far more obvious in, in Mad Men than it, than it is in the movies that were actually made at the time. Yeah, they did. He actually, they did a really good job of um, weaving in these sort of lessons like that without being preachy. And really, uh, the best thing that that show did, though I guess we're not really talking about TV shows, but um, the the best thing the best thing that that show did was to uh, each each character grows and very organically, and there's really wonderful character arcs where you know people really. As the times change, as their outfits change, uh, you know, their attitudes start to change and certain people's don't. So mm-hmm. you sort of watch like Don Draper circle the drain for five seasons, whereas, uh, you know, Peggy is, is growing and learning and, and uh, you know, moving on in the same way that, you know, the women's movement started to gain traction and stuff like that. It was it was actually really, really well done. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a feeling that Mad Men is going to come back continually for us just because that's the uh you know that's a it's sort of encapsulates the most people's vision of of the 60s or or at least the you know corporate sexist world of the of of the 60s i I guess uh flower power kind of took over at some point and that's that's what people start to think of but i think you know especially when we're talking about things like how to succeed in business without really trying or, or you know how can you not talk about mad men especially when mad men has you know you know, took took the sets from from that movie and and made them the, the offices of uh whatever what what was the uh what was the the agency in mad men sterling cooper draper price right so what what surprised you about how to succeed in business having you know when paying attention to it I mean, it's really funny. I think that's that surprised me. I didn't. Uh, I don't know. A lot of the gags really work in that movie. Rudy Valley, in particular, I think is 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 especially funny. But Robert Morris does does a lot of great work. Look, looks a little too much like Jerry Lewis for for my comfort. But I think he's, <laughs> he's, he's like the creepier Jerry Lewis, though. Yeah. I actually really like Robert Morris. I saw a screening of How to Succeed in Business a couple, like a, maybe a, two years ago or so uh, where Robert Morris was there, and he was really great. He was really uh, charming. And I always love I, – I actually, Robert Morris is one of those guys who I've, I've followed a little bit in his career. Um, have you seen The Loved One? I have, Yeah. It's been a while, but that's the, uh, the the cemetery in Los Angeles, and written by Terry Southern. That movie. Yeah, that's a great yeah. one. I'm not too familiar with his work in general, but he he was in Mad Men too, right? He was the yeah chairman I, of the board or something. I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, I I mean I think mostly what surprised me was uh, was how many scenes from that movie were lifted, uh, you know, in in whole for the Hudsucker proxy. You know what? That's like one of the Bill Cohen Brothers movies I haven't seen. Uh, you have because you've seen How to Succeed in Business with that. Huh. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, what I really love about that movie is is the sets. I've drawn my whole life. I grew up in an artistic family, and and uh, so I love movies that really embrace 
that sort of artistic aesthetic or, or just in general movies that feel like cartoons. <laughs> yeah. I like the more surreal, the better. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and uh, a lot of times that that kind of veers off into like the, the trashy. <laughs> But that's kind of what I love. I, I love anything that makes you sort of feel like any of these bright colors, uh, sort of cartoonish, you know, suggestion of like a coffee machine as opposed to actually showing you a coffee machine. I love mm-hmm. the sort of elevation of how to, to basically turn the mundane into this fun pop, you know, musical. Like there's a whole song about coffee <laughs> you know that that's like ridiculous it's crazy or there or you know the songs about secretary is not a toy mm-hmm. where it's just sexism on parade but everyone's having a grand old time <laughs> and like that's just so it's so fascinating and it's sort of charming and interesting and i think part of what i really like about there's two types of 60s movies uh, to me and there, this isn't true <laughs> Of all 60s movies, but whenever I think of 60s movies, I think of either like the pop bubblegum craziness or I think of very realistic trying to really capture uh, reality uh, and and something really sincere. Mm -hmm. I think more so in the British movies of the 60s, I think, than the the American ones. Well, so we sort of assigned each other some movies to watch before we started this. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a large variety. I don't know. Was there a real rhyme or reason to these assignments? I I just didn't want two things that were too similar. I guess I wanted to I wanted a range. So that's what I, I I picked from your watch list. Things that were sort of all over the place. And then you 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 uh, you came in with a few that I had never even heard of, like the Pleasure Girls, and uh, just the, the very fact that I knew nothing about it. It made me excited to see it. The Pleasure Girls, that was really like a kind of cliche 60s movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had just recently watched The L-Shaped Room, which is uh, a you know one of these um, you know British new wave kitchen sink type dramas. Like, you know, great, great movie, uh, a, a classic. Um, and, and The Pleasure Girls was totally just, you know, taking that movie and saying... Oh, let's you know, let's let's take all the. Um, it, it's it's also about uh, you know these people living in in the you know apartment building, and uh, you know let's just um, you know let's let's make all the people living in this building uh, young women and 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 just uh, you know you know give a give a slice of uh, of uh, swinging London and it's um, yeah I mean I I think if I hadn't just seen L shaped room it, the, the movie might have seemed a little uh, a, a little less cliché. I don't You're not familiar with that one, are you? Uh, no, but I but I actually I did think this movie was pretty cliche, but it was sort of interesting too. It actually reminded me a bit of the student nurses. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. Is that a a seventies exploitation movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it it was um the directed by Stephanie Rothman. Uh, and so I think that the the on the merit that a woman directed that movie it actually had this sort of weird it really cared about its characters on top of all this sort of dopey uh nudity that was sort of superfluous 
but it was you know so basically like the, the pleasure girls as as you mentioned it's about you know came out in 1965 a british movie and it is about four women who live together and you have like the one friend who gets knocked up by a gambling addict jerk and like the other one who's a gold digger but just happens to fall in love and then uh... klaus kinski of all people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right and then there's ian mcshane young ian mcshane uh who's also unrecognizable who he was pretty charming oh yeah he he was like a non-threatening oliver reed Mm -hmm. you know i can see that <laughs> and he kind of kind of had that davy jones haircut yeah. yeah yeah and then he's falling for the the ice queen who uh you know basically won't won't give up her virginity for him right yeah i mean it was that was definitely the least interesting story of all of them but on the strength of both of the actors i think that was the one that held my attention most that's exactly how i felt <laughs> <laughs> Like was it wasn't really interesting, but but they were both definitely the best actors, and the rest of it was kind of bizarre. I mean, like Klaus Kinski as a love interest, is, <laughs> in general, was strange, and I also didn't really understand. I mean, this guy has all these like I guess like mob gambling debt connections as well, and yeah, I'm, I'm I I wasn't quite clear on how all that was was supposed to work. He's some you know, Euro gangster who relocated to London, and you know. And, and none, of the, none of the British gangsters liked him, so they wanted to beat him up. I'd say that probably the most interesting thing about this movie is that it sort of falls into a lot of, I don't know, there was, there's definitely a ton of cliches of sort of, you know, all the women are interested, are looking for love, basically, and that's about it. They don't really have seem to have any other goals or anything else in mind. When they all hang out together, they basically just talk about boys. Uh, but I kind of appreciated that the women seem to come out on top uh, at the end of this movie a yeah. couple of them get punished but they at least seem okay with it <laughs> yeah no they i mean it it ends with the you know with the the strength of their friendship like they're they're there for each other in the end and that's sort of it, it was uh it, it was it was fairly refreshing um you know having it end there yeah i like that the you know that the main girl doesn't give up her virginity she makes ian mcshane wait <laughs> <laughs> And he just has to deal with it. And she, like, straight up tells him, deal with it, keep it in your pants, or get out, fine. And I was like, all right, good for you. You didn't give in. Yeah. Well, she was the career-minded one, right? She wanted to she wanted to be a model. She was going to modeling school. Is that... I think so, yeah. yeah. So, really, she was the one that didn't have boys on her mind at all. She just happened to, you know, get mixed up in this, uh, this, this dashing, uh, <laughs> dashing young man who, who won't leave her alone. See, now this movie would have actually been really fun had they really um, explored more of their these women's inner lives uh, separate from these men, for sure. Or even just their own, own interactions. Not to bring up TV again, but, you know, Sex in the City gets a bad rap for, you know, having this sort of uh, dopey, uh, airheaded fan base. But what made that show actually really engaging and what got it that fan base of rabid, rabid fans was having four women sit in a room and talk together, you know, and shoot the shit, which is something that you really don't see very often. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there Especially... wasn't a lot of backstabbing, right? It wasn't that part of it that they were, they were, you know, friends first and foremost, you know, they might argue, but there was never, you know, it was never a competitive thing really. Right. 
Yeah, and you see that actually in this movie too, which I appreciated. Like when uh, the one uh, girl kicks out her um, loser boyfriend uh, who has gotten her pregnant, she really is like, you know what? I don't need you. I'm just going to deal with this baby and I have my friends like peace out and kicks him out, which I think uh, realistically is probably going to be terrible for her in the sixties. But um, in the movie, you're like, yeah, like, (laughs) well, she's got her friends. I guess you think that they'll, they'll continue to be there for her. But yeah, there was also an interesting side story about that gay brother. Yeah, it was, uh, well, not interesting, but it was there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the fact that he gets outed and everyone's kind of cool with it. There is like that one. Well, like, so the main girl has that moment where she realizes he's gay. She walks in on him kissing another guy or, or hugging, I think, actually. Oh, yeah. And cue the, the stinger, the, the loud music, the bum, bum, bum. But then, yeah, she gets over it really quickly. Like she's, you know, she's in shock for for several seconds. And then, you know, then she then she accepts it. So that's, you know, that's positive. Yeah, she has one line where she's like, well, I wish I could have been your first girl, as if it would have made a difference. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also, the in, uh, in L-shaped room, there's also a, uh, a a gay subplot, and it's it's handled a lot more sensitively than that. I mean, it's one of the, the most beautiful things about that movie. So I felt like that was, uh, that was a little bit, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really heavy-handed way to to bring that theme from from L-shaped room into this. So maybe that was that had something to do with my cynicism. Huh, yeah. I mean, this was definitely this felt very you know, like it was trying it it felt it definitely feels fake. But mm-hmm. it feels fake in a way that I I think was like the more one of the more lesser offensive fakes that you can get out of <laughs> movies <laughs> from this this era but also not particularly I think that it was actually uh, like a, a B movie that um, the at BFI recently released uh, with another like on, on a DVD of like a couple films. So I think that that's part of why we even know it exists. That's where I found out about it personally I, from BFI's website. Yeah, and it I mean it was um, it, it must have been a passion project, right? Because the uh, the guy who directed it also wrote it. it seems like you know it, it must have there must have been something personal in there jerry o'hara i just looked him up do you uh do you know anything about uh the, the guy behind i don't the pleasure girls <laughs> yeah <laughs> well based on his uh his filmography he's he, he never got out of the the uh, the b picture zone but you know he definitely you know he he, he wanted he wanted all the control he could over over this particular movie so there's something to be said for that i think i think he tried his best you know like Mm -hmm. i I actually i give him the benefit of the doubt with this movie there's plenty of uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't like a great it's not like a movie i'd like super recommend to anybody unless they want to see ian mcshane when he was young and attractive but and and klaus kinski at the same time but uh, young and 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 still not attractive (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, young and looking exactly the same as he looked throughout his entire life. But uh, now the one of the ones that you recommended was the Warped Ones, which is a Japanese movie from 1960. And I guess maybe to bring that up with the Pleasure Girls is sort of interesting because uh, in some ways it is also this sort of slice of life 
you know, it's shot realistically in that there's no, uh, you know, psychedelic 60s uh, musical nonsense. Uh, but it also is really out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the editing is, is, is very, you know, obvious. There, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of still frames. And, you know, music, it's, you know, it's, it's obsessed with jazz. So it's not the, uh, you know, the, the uh, British invasion stuff that seems to be in all the other hip 60s movies but it's it's as music obsessed as as any of these movies we're we're talking about yeah and i love that that was so wonderful because on one hand i mean number one it really lets you this movie uh, of all movies that i've seen jazz related uh is definitely in the top at least the top three for really showing you how subversive jazz actually was at the time Mm -hmm. which i feel like is hard to to it's the type of thing that's um not so easy to remember sometimes when you know you hear the easy listening jazz stations on the radio and and they're god awful (laughs) whereas like real jazz music is is excellent uh but you know it's the type of i don't know it's like one of those genres that people just decide they hate and don't listen to but this 1960 was about where you know jazz really started splintering and it was no longer the the, the dance music that was, you know, that was popular, it sort of became, there was, you know, the, the, this one side of jazz, the, you know, Coltrane bebop, whatever, the, you know, the, the, real, the heady intellectual jazz, which is what this, this movie was excited about. And, you know, and then there were the, like, jazz vocalists, the, you know, the Sinatras, the Dean Martins, who by 1960, to even call that jazz, I, I'm not sure you can, yeah, you, can you can use that. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I I love how uh, you know angry uh, the main character gets. Yeah, I mean, well, both of the both of the main characters were, uh, you know, I, I kept saying, oh, he's the crazy one. No, he, you know, they're it's it's they're two two male leads, and um, you know, the, it, it seems like they're both they're trying to out crazy each other. So the warped ones, to give a, a brief plot summary, is about basically just like a bunch of delinquents it actually reminded me a ton of um a clockwork orange even though this totally predates it but it's about uh two boys and a girl akira masaru and yuki Mm -hmm. and they're all just sort of uh raising hell basically (laughs) like in and around uh town and going in and out of jazz bars listen letting the music you know get them high and and ready for a bit of the old ultra violence basically yeah yeah i mean it was it was definitely uh it's got a strong nihilistic streak and it seemed like that was you know sort of connecting connecting youth to the spirit of uh, you know nothing matters that i can you know do whatever i want to anybody and you know nobody can stop me and uh it's it's exciting but you're also i mean these these main characters whose whose side you 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 actually end up being you know you're on their side in in some you know sort of twisted perverse way but they really are doing horrible things you know i would would you say that it's uh i don't know it doesn't really condemn their actions <laughs> in any you know any major way oh yeah no and, and in a lot of ways i mean the movie never makes any um it doesn't ever pretend that they're doing anything good. There's like a pretty violent rape scene uh, that more so is, is violent in its editing than visually, which I, which I kind of appreciated because it still got the point across without having to, you know, 
indulge too much in, in uh, you know, like a woman being raped, which tends to be what happens <laughs> in these movies. But um, yeah, no, it was very, it was incredibly interesting. I think that the only moment that was actually uh, brings across sympathy is when Akira friend from the jazz bar who's black and they both bust out and they run around the beach oh yeah hand in hand they run into the ocean yeah and it was sort of this weird it was like a very humanizing moment i think for the for him whereas he's sort of constantly looking to rob steal and all but kill everyone around him Mm -hmm. and then in this one moment you have him like frolicking with his friend and it you see get this glimmer of humanity where he has a sympathetic slash like pathetic James Dean esque teen angst that like felt really relatable, mm-hmm. and that was really interesting. I really like I really like that. And then like it then then immediately it, it like shuts off and it goes right back into him being like this miserable jerk. <laughs> yeah, but then you put him up against the uh, you know the the upper class uh, intellectuals, you know, when, when he busts into that party where they're, uh, you know, listening to classical music and, and, uh, and admiring someone's artwork. It's, uh, I, I, you, you can't help but side with the, with the, uh, the nihilists, the, uh, the, these, these crude anti-intellectuals who, uh, you know, just as soon put a knife through a, through a painting as, as enjoy it. Oh yeah, that that movie totally it just encaptures. I, I I don't know, like it, it is an emotion. This whole movie is it's like it's so short. It's edited amazing. The editing is amazing. The camera work is straight up breathtaking. Beautiful camera work, and it really captures that sort of hot and sweaty, you know, antsy feeling, especially when you're young, where you just want to like get out and do something, and you don't care what it is. And the, these kids definitely don't care what it is. And it, it is way more appealing, especially in the way and how beautifully it's shot, all these shots of smoke through the air. And, and um, th- there's a lot of interesting uses of the, like, exposure on the lenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really feel the heat in that movie when it'll, you know, it focuses on the sun and yeah. you can, the, it, it, it blots out the trees. It's just oppressively shining on these characters. And it's really effective. I also love how he gets out of the car and, and just starts like biting at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's um, a lot of what I enjoy about 60s movies, I think, is this, this sort of spirit of, of youthful rebellion. Uh, and I think that a lot of the, you know, whether you're talking about the, 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 the French New Wave directors or the, you, you know, the, uh, the, like the, the American international B movies like uh, Wild in the Streets that we watched. Um, it's there, there's just whether it's you know these movies are being made by by these young people who just want to break away from from everything that's come before, or it's these um, you know these these old timers who are trying to make these rebellious movies uh, you know that that you know, that young people will eat up because of this you know this this uh, this generational conflict that it's it's portraying it's i i think that a lot of a lot of what i enjoy about the 60s is just you know that 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 very the the youthfulness of of so much of it part of the part of the reason i i personally became i think enamored with the 60s is is loving the music actually that's come out of it you know from the beatles to the kinks to motown to 
Bob Dylan or Phil Oaks and, you know, Velvet Underground, all of, all of those, you know, Britpop to, to, to jazz, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is wonderful and really, uh, you know, was set my taste, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> set my standards, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm, I, and, uh, I, feel the same way. I think that, you know, part of it is that when, when you like the music, you start to notice the clothing, you start to notice the haircuts, you start to notice the colors, the patterns, and then watching uh, movies, it's sort of similar. You get sort of pulled in visually by the, the this like interesting and very like utopian design. Like I love how the 60s design largely dips like that, that sort of cliche of mid-century modern uh, architecture or furniture that we think of as a sort of dip into futurism. Mm-hmm. But there's still this sort of fear (laughs) like they never go too much in the future like they pull back it's like a mix of plastic with wood (laughs) right yeah nothing we watch was too relied too heavily on that on that space age aesthetic but there's there is that element to to a lot of it just the yeah everything is is you know the the future is now kind of kind of feeling to it and part of that too which is why i brought up the music is that it ties into you know the these movies too about authenticity you know like the way that tin pan alley got scrapped for singer songwriters this sort of movement that was definitely led by individuals is is super fascinating and there was like such a great amount of talent that came out all at the same time uh and it and and managed to actually capture the hearts and minds of people, which is so rare. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so, it was rock and roll, really. Or, I mean, I guess there's, you've got the, you got Elvis bringing rock and roll to the, to the mainstream in the, in the mid fifth, mid to late fifties. And then, you know, Bob Dylan in the, in the early sixties and then the, the folk movement. And they, they, they sort of come together in the, in that, in that place where it is, it's just breaking away from these, you know these these jazz standards sung by you know by singers who um, and and you know, moving over to this this um, you know the this singer songwriters or people performing their own music and and that is I think that's that does tie into the um, you know the whole French New Wave um, you know, idea. It's you know we're we're doing it for ourselves now, which is totally the plot essentially of wild in the streets mm-hmm. 1968 this is a weird movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it's i mean this i have like a lot a of trouble film, right <laughs> it i think it it i think it and a lot of people remember it fondly um but uh probably if they were to rewatch it they would realize it it, it probably isn't as good as they remember it being <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh yeah it's it, but it, it i mean it's that whole you know american international roger corman you know b-movie thing where they you know they have all they have is an idea they're like oh we'll, we'll, we'll appeal to the kids this way and we'll we'll put in as as little effort as possible into making this a, a good movie but we'll put in the music we'll put in the you know we'll put in the you know the light effects we'll put in you know all the all the stuff the kids love and and that's that'll be enough to to make a make a movie that that the kids will flock to and for the most part they were right they're they're right on the money so did you think well so to to fill everyone in the the plot of this movie is essentially that this uh young man 
uh, <laughs> to like think about what I have to say here. Like it's essentially a young guy who what becomes a rock star, who then becomes a millionaire after leaving behind his like oppressive parents, uh, who have no interest in him until he gets famous and they want to cash in on him. And then all these, uh, you know, politicians want to cash in on him and, uh, say you know he decides basically to hijack he agrees to to appear for this sort of kennedy-esque politician and then hijacks the entire rally to say uh we want the vote to be what 14 14 yeah there's like a whole uh, song (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the issue which i think was i mean california was was trying to to uh you know pass a law that you could vote at 18 so this was you know, this was ripped from the headlines in a way, but you know, this, 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 you know, rebellious rebel without a cause, you know, James Dean type guy played by Christopher Jones, who actually was pretty, pretty appealing. I I, kind of liked it, his performance, but he, um, he, uh, he decides, no, no, 18 is too old at 14 is, uh, you know, we should get the vote at, at 14 and, and, and he hijacks the, this, this Kennedy type politicians campaign uh yeah and it, then it sort of just dissolves into like you know them doing acid and i guess all the kids coming out and like rallying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well then you know he he sort of uh i, I don't know there 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 is a moral there he's he sort of turns into a, a a fascist himself at a certain point and uh you know he ends up in, in, imprisoning all the uh everyone over 30 and uh, <laughs> keeping them, them complacent with LSD and, um, you know, and just, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Nazi metaphor there is, uh, is, is pretty, pretty on the nose. Did you think that this movie was satire or that it was trying to appeal and teach kids like a moral lesson? I think it was trying to have it both ways. I think it was, totally trying to appeal to the the you know the the basest instincts of of kids while at the same time condemning that you know those those childish attitudes i mean i will say that there's one point where he uses the example of how women and black people got the vote so he as like a young white male (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> should get the vote even earlier or something it's like he's like well if, if women can do it you know and it's like super <laughs> super questionable logic but um although you know he does he does say that although oh, the, the the suffragettes got the fought to get the vote they uh you know they just didn't stand by while while politicians uh, you know did their did their campaigning and on these uh you know wishy-washy platforms that they actually like were willing to, you know, die for their, you know, for the vote, like willing to kill for the vote. I think he says. Yeah. And that was kind of that was I could <laughs> I could you know, there there was something there. Well, the, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the comparison was tone deaf now, but at the time, it, yes, he was sort of giving a shout out, I suppose. I mean, there was a good message about how having uh you know as we do right now, like an incredibly old government does not correctly reflect anything that the kids might want and they sort of hijack as boomers 
you know, hey, we're 51% of the population, so you guys have to now do it our way, which in some ways I can't help but feel slightly bitter against <laughs> and think like, oh, this is where you guys got it from. Um, but I did like, there was one quote I, I wrote down because it, it made me laugh where he says, well, what do you ask a six-year-old if they want their wheelchair facing the sun or away from the sun? <laughs> Or like yeah. there's a lot of ragging on like this like politician who's like 36 or something like ridiculously <laughs> young and not that much older than, uh, you know, these kids who are, what, 24, I think, for the most part. Yeah, it's uh, the, the line I liked was in, when he referred to uh, to the, the previous generation as the alcoholic generation, um, because that's I feel like there there is that sort of. In, in these movies of the 60s, the, the uh, you know, the Hollywood movies are still, you know, the, the, all the, you know, the, all the Rat Packers are, are, are making their, their movies. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, every, every other joke is about, you know, drinking too much. And, right. and this is, and this is uh, clearly trying to break away from that generation. Like this is, you know, those are, those are your movies. Those are, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Those, those are, those are your guys. We've we've got our own. We've got rock and roll. We've got LSD. And that's uh, you know, and that's 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 where <laughs> we're headed. That's where this country's headed. Yeah, like you get drunk, we'll go to another plane of existence. And I did. There was one good quote too of a uh, one of the like the older politician guys where he says, "What what do these kids uh, like expect to to stop the clock or go mad?" Which I feel like was a pretty good point. In as far as this being potentially a moral movie, but at the end of the day, I wasn't too sure. It actually, it felt, you know, it felt almost like it was so dry that it was uh, satire. Like I'm sort of on the fence. I really thought that maybe by the time that I had watched this and then we spoke about this, I would have decided <laughs> how I felt about, you know, what what this movie was meant to be saying because the movie ends basically with some seven year old kid calling the main character old and then implying that the, the next revolution is going to be coming for him. You can sit here and, and preach about, you know, your rights, but eventually you're going to get old too and you're going to get pushed out. So I don't know. It just felt a little premature for this movie to come out in 68 and then already be poo-pooing, uh, you know, the quote revolution. So it seemed yeah. a little square, but I wasn't, but it also was so ridiculous and indulgent that I can't help. It didn't feel moral either. Yeah. I mean, I think that was just for the, you know, the irony that, that ending, I don't think it was trying to make any, any particular point really other than, Oh yeah, you're going to get old too. And you know, that there, there'll always be another generation coming up, uh, you know, trying to, trying to overthrow the previous generation. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I I'd be I'd be hard pressed to call it satire. I think it, it didn't have it didn't have an, enough of a belief in anything to to be satire. But I guess but. the uh, the other movie uh, that I I made you watch, <laughs> which is called Veto Nudo, which is <laughs> Italian movie that stars uh, Nino Manfredi, and the name of it meaning uh, like I see naked basically, I see nude. <laughs> It's this came out in 69 so it's very much this is like full on swinging 60s ridiculousness sexism on parade mixed with like uh, over the top 
slapstick weird i you know plus plus the whole italian angle <laughs> yeah. i was actually really glad you had me watch this movie because uh i i have this um you know i i i consider 68 the end of the of the 60s like that's that's a that's kind of the last year where a lot of a lot of my favorites were being made and i, I think 1969 was just something turned at that point that it became you know with when they uh they decided, oh well, um, you know, we can we can show boobs now. We can, uh, you know, we can be as as raunchy as we want now, and that's all people want to see. And I, I feel like things really, especially for foreign movies, it's sort of when when American cinema got a little more interesting. But as far as foreign cinema goes, it just, you know, rather than being like personal expressions and you know trying to break with tradition and and you know try these new you know techniques and you know what whatever whatever's so great about. Uh, you know, all the all the new waves that were happening by 69 uh they were you know foreign movies were just uh trying to push boundaries and you know get away with as much as possible and, and this this movie was a was a pretty good example of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah in this movie uh nina manfredi has sex with a chicken and a train so <laughs> the, you know the the uh the the sex with the chicken sketch was my favorite Really? Maybe because it was so short, but I, I just thought his performance was was great in that. He was really funny. I mean, in general, in general, I thought Nina was really funny in it, but the the sketches all just went on for way too long. Oh yeah, no, I I, lo- I really like Nino Manfredi. He's definitely one of these actors who I saw. Um, one, I saw him in Bread and Chocolate was I think the first movie I saw him in, which is uh, an excellent movie. It's like a very it's a sort of satirical movie about um, Italian immigrants moving to Switzerland and the troubles they have and, and dealing with bias as an immigrant, which is something that's kind of interesting to look at back on now. But it came out in 74, so we can't talk about it. <laughs> oh, we can talk about it. But um, I, he's someone who, I, you know, he's just very charming. He, he's like a very, uh, he can play both the sort of the straight man and the, and the goofball. And I've, mm-hmm. I found him to be, you know, he adds a lot of depth to his characters. He doesn't just try to cash in on the cheap laugh. But if he has to, he does a great job. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why he was so great in The Executioner, which was where the movie I saw, it, it wasn't that long ago I saw that movie, and he made a huge impression on me in that because he was able to, you know, turn from this, you know, goofy comic character into just this, pathetic really you know pathetic guy that you're 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 completely feel for and uh yeah i mean i'd seen him in various things but it was it's only been recently that i've really taken note of him oh yeah that that movie was amazing (laughs) (laughs) that was like wonderful i also didn't know he spoke spanish i was very impressed (laughs) yeah his his lips seemed to be matching on what was what was being spoken to to a certain degree so he must have been at least sounding it out phonetically i think that what what i really liked about this veto nudo movie i mean in general these sort of anthology films don't typically do it for me i guess this wasn't it's the same director throughout but this sort of short vignette movies uh are always they kind of leave to be something to be desired i find but um there were a couple of things that i i thought were really interesting and one one of which is that ornella short Mm -hmm. did you like that Um, (laughs) I was, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I didn't enjoy it. It just, it went on for, for way too long and there was no payoff really, but. 
Oh man, I actually I so I thought it was like super sweet and I and I but I know I kind of know that the movie was not going for super sweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because basically this is a sketch where, you know, all of these sketches very uh you know, they're all based around sex as you haven't figured it out already. That's the you know, the point of this entire film. Um and this one is essentially about a guy who uh cross dresses though in the movies it's a cro- he's a cross dresser i'd say watching it now in 2018 eyeballs i would go ahead and say that she is trans but um essentially you know uh ornella is is the name that she calls herself and she uh has a pen pal with this guy you know as as ornella never telling him you know that her name is uh i don't remember <laughs> And, and like, is a, a man who works in a bank by day. And then the the pen pal, event like, kind of comes and, and shows up at the doorstep looking for Ornella. And she has to scramble to sort of not let him know the truth uh, that she's not exactly who uh, says that she is on in uh, the pen pal uh, letters. <laughs> and so, like, the whole thing is sort of this sketch about, like, you know, somebody, somebody hiding. It's meant to be gay jokes. It's meant to be laughing at how uncomfortable it is for a man to wear fluffy slippers or how uncomfortable it is for this man to be fooled quote into uh you know being in love with a a, another man but like the way that nino manfredi plays it it was just it felt really like sad (laughs) yeah and i mean he was never he was not really the butt of the joke really i mean i i think you were supposed to laugh at at the, you know, the uncomfortable situation, but you're, you know, there's no, there's, you know, nothing, nothing derogatory in there. It was, you, you're, you're supposed to feel for this guy in this situation or this, this, this gal. Yeah. And then at the end, that's sort of basically the end, there's this acceptance where, you know, the, the pen pal guy falls asleep on the couch and uh, Ornella is like terrified <laughs> And says, you know, like, uh, like, all right, I'll make you coffee in the morning or something, something throwaway. And the guy uh, affirms, uh, says, thanks, Ornella, to her, to her face, sort of affirming that that he knew this whole time, or at least he knew on some level what was actually happening. And it ends like that. And I was just like, I don't know, it was just really like sort of sweet and sensitive a story that shows up in this comedy sex farce and like yeah i really think and i so i went online you know on through youtube i was looking at people's comments uh, about this movie on trailers and stuff like that and it was really interesting to see how many people were commenting saying oh i remember this movie in theaters and i laughed my ass off this was so funny uh, I remember that crazy, uh huh, that, that was ridiculous, the, the whole gay joke stuff. So it was kind of interesting to see, like, oh, yeah, I think this really, like, maybe this was meant to be a knee slapper, <laughs> yeah. like, back in the day. But to watch it now, it's sort of, like, it actually, like, you know, it was, like, emotional and sad. I was I was really into that, and I wasn't expecting it whatsoever. The other thing I liked was that, that sort of five-minute um, gag about the short-sighted voyeur. Oh, yeah. Where he's, where he's ogling his own rear end. Yep. Now, I, I mean, I just gave away the punchline, but that, that was that was clever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I also think it's got that. Um, I mean, it's it's a comedy made for Italian audiences. I don't think it was necessarily intended for an international audience. 
and and comedy is so tough that way. Like I feel like so much of it is cultural that it's it's often really hard to appreciate the you know the the top comedies from other countries. I, you know, I, you know there there are a lot of great direct you know foreign directors whose whose comedies we are easy to enjoy. You know, Jacques Tati or you know the but they're you know they're stylists, they're auteurs, but the you know these these top grossing comedies from from other countries are I, I think you know it's we're we're not even really supposed to be watching them as as, America, <laughs> as foreigners I, I feel like is you know we're we're never supposed to but I'll say that watching it as a foreigner you kind of get these weird glimpses into the 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 inner workings of society at the time which is sort of fascinating to me like the last sketch which is the the titular sketch a sketch in in many ways actually because you <laughs> yeah. get a bunch of topless women well said. <laughs> <laughs> basically nito manfredi suddenly i i forget why he, he just starts every woman he sees he only sees her naked does he hit his head or something it's something dopey like that well he's he's an advertising agent so he's um but all he he's just selling sex like every ad he does has is you know he uses a naked woman to sell a watch or you know whatever it is and he, you know, sleeps with a different woman every night and just, you know, he, he can't, I, I guess he's, he just can't see women as anything but sex objects. So it, it, that, that translates to him, like seeing them fully clothed women nude where, wherever he goes. And it was, it was sort of interesting. I mean, besides the fact that this was definitely an example of what you were saying earlier, which is basically like, you know, thanks for sitting through this movie, man. Here's, here's what you came for. Kind of <laughs> like. Just a bunch of naked, top, well, topless women uh, left and right. But um, I kind of found it interesting because it also sort of felt almost like it reminded me of uh, Casanova 70, which is a, a Marcello Mastriani movie. I don't think I've seen that. So, well, it just sort of reminded me in the sense that basically it's about Nino Manfredi uh, is experiencing like a, like this sort of hardcore male anxiety as, as he... Uh, then basically gets his wish of seeing women naked everywhere. <laughs> like he loses his ability to, to perform sexually because of these like persistent fantasies and it starts to overtake his, his whole life. Seeing essentially, you know, loose women is like too much for him because he can't control them and he can't control how he sees it. And then he no longer want, wants to make the sexual ads that he's been making. And then it starts to flip and he starts to see men naked. And so it was sort of interesting to sort of, it's like this, I thought that it actually had an interesting point about the, like the male gaze <laughs> for like what was like kind of a really indulgent, ridiculous, um, essentially what, like 20 minute joke about boobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this movie definitely was satire in, in a way that Wild in the Streets is not. I mean, this is, it also tries to have it both ways, the way Wild in the Streets does but it's also like i think the the title i see naked is you know it's this idea that um you know it is about male anxiety it's like okay we you know this is you behave this way but 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 i know what you're really thinking and each of these sketches is kind of getting at that idea it's sort of digging digging deeper into the the male libido uh, than than is is comfortable for for the male i think so it i mean it's it is satire. I just didn't think it was particularly funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both, I think we both uh, 
I, I think I rated it this like a three stars on Letterboxd, but only because I I was I kind of found it fascinating, but I it wasn't great. I think you you did also similarly. Yeah, it. yeah. I mean, I think it was a, a two and a half, but it's uh, but it's mostly just because my my attention flagged. I think that. So what what are you looking for when you when you're watching movies? Like what what do you what's most important to you? Well, I I mean I I think that's it really i mean on on a basic level i just want to be transported i want to be you know i want to start a movie and not think about anything else until it's over and uh you know that that often can just be you know great character work i'm involved in the characters in the in the movie or or it can just be you know i'm i'm involved in what the the director is is trying to do here the you know what you know the his the shooting style or just you know you know whatever you know whatever whatever interesting way the, the the person has decided to 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 put something on the screen if it if it holds my attention throughout then i'm i'm happy that's that's all it takes what what about you what are you looking for Probably about the same thing. <laughs> I like movies that focus on characters for sure. Uh, I don't know if there's like a particular. As long as as something feels justified, then I'm I'm pretty much into it. <laughs> you know, and but then like I, I kind of I guess like movies that sort of make up their own rules tend to interest me the most. So I'm not so interested in seeing. You know, I I get personally annoyed at CGI special effects. Because I don't really care about how realistic something looks. I, I'd much rather get the sense of it. I'd much rather even just like create a world in which, no, this puppet is realistic now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, CGI is, it, it's, I mean, I think that's a generational thing. I'll, I'll never get used to CGI. I, I would rather see a puppet or, you know, you know, terrible green screen or blue screen effects. Um, just because you, it's something solid, like model work, like terrible model work, I'd rather see than than the you know the most expensive CGI. Just because there's a solidity to it that there isn't with with CGI. Oh yeah, that's totally. But we also like campy movies, both of us. So I, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Why? So why do you like campy movies? Can is there a way to answer that other than I just do? I it, they I, they make me laugh. I I you know. Anything that's tongue in cheek that you know, tries to feign feign seriousness always gives me a chuckle. I don't know what 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 do you like about camp? Definitely, the, I I definitely love anything with a sense of humor. So that's definitely a big part of it. I think I think it kind of comes back to that you know thinking um, these sort of movies where uh, you know turning real life into a cartoon or sort of really just going with uh, a feeling above all else or something. You know, like those Matt Helm movies with Dean Martin, they just sort of exist on like another plane, <laughs> like another planet where all women desire like a slightly past his prime Dean Martin, <laughs> maybe more than slightly. And everyone dresses beautifully and there's like no dull, dull colors and like the reality of the 60s for women sucked. <laughs> yeah. And which and, it, and it's clear in these movies, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, they're so. Even even uh, even when the women are clothed, the the movies are are. I think everything we watched was you know there's some some kind of ogling of breasts in them, and it's just you know, 
so much so much objectification and it's it's pretty hard to stomach but it's also i don't know i i also have to laugh at it i think yeah that's sort of part of it it's like part of it is i i sort of ironically do get a kick out of it but i don't i wouldn't say that like my love for them is ironic uh, I mean, maybe in part two, it's it's a sort of at, at this from this distance, looking back at these things, it actually is kind of fun to indulge in the simplicity and the sort of almost like, you know, caveman esque, you know, like I get to turn my my critical thinking off and just like enjoy the ride of being like a shitty 60s man for like two hours <laughs> where, where uh, like everyone's around you to, to do your bidding and, and, you know, everyone loves you and this sort of stuff. It, it, it is fun. It's like, it makes you realize looking back on this sort of, you know, this id ego expression <laughs> being put to film of like people's fantasies. And it's like, yeah, that is a nice fantasy, except that the reality of it was pretty terrible. And, you let this fantasy fall into reality. But at the same time, like, yeah, okay, if I want to just stop at the fantasy, it is fun. Like, it is, you know, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And we're, we're in the age of television now, and, and one theory is that the, uh, you know, women, the, you know, a lot of television was, was geared towards women. So the, that, as a result, the cinema was more masculinized, that it's, the, you know, you get a lot less female fantasy there and it's just you know going going you know full tilt into into male fantasy in the you know in the 50s mid 50s to to 60s and to the to the present day to a certain degree although i feel like we've, we've definitely made some strides in the right direction i do kind of love to see what what 60s men think women want that's <laughs> <laughs> always really great uh, so, you know, so, okay, so to, and it's in the same vein, you know, this, you know, the 60s uh, full of societal standards and norms that uh, make most modern people, especially women and non-white men, <laughs> uh, you know, scoff. Uh, how would you, here we are talking about 60s movies and we plan to continue to talk, talk about 60s movies, maybe a little more, you know, focused on different pockets as we go on, but how would you recommend people to approach watching these sorts of films? Is this like an issue that you come up with? Like, uh, you know, like should, should the vast majority of it be damned into the vaults never to be seen from again? Or do you think that there's stuff that we can No, see? I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, there's, so these, these Looney Tunes collections that came out on DVD, they all had the, this disclaimer at the beginning, but from Whippy Goldberg, and I, I really feel like I, I can't say it any, I wish I could quote her right now, but uh, it's, you know, she's saying that, um, you know, that the, you know, the, the, you know, people made these jokes, not necessarily meaning to be offensive, but they're, they, they are offensive. They were offensive then and they're offensive now. And we have to sort of watch them with that in mind. And, but to like, you know, just sort of, censor them to you know, never show them never allow people to see them is like saying that you know, this this racism and sexism never happened like that was never a part of our you know of who we are and and i you know that's i guess i, I feel that way about it it's it's where we're coming from and to i don't know i guess that's i i don't i i mean that's politically i i guess i, guess I that's that, that's my feeling about it but i i mean i think 
like you, I, I also just enjoy kind of turning my brain off a bit and watching this stuff and, and just, you know, trying to, to put my mind in the, you know, in the mindset of somebody watching these movies at the time and, 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 you know, sometimes being bewildered how they could, they could enjoy some of this stuff, but also being fascinated for that reason. Yeah, that's what kind of interests me too, you know, to sort of, to look back at this stuff and, and sometimes, I mean, number one, just to see what was acceptable <laughs> mm-hmm. and then to see actually how much it does parallel what is still acceptable or make you even realize how terrible some things are, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, it, it is really interesting and, and I don't know, I, I kind of, uh, I definitely, I mean, I, I agree, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't censor it. Um, I do think it's it's quite interesting to indulge in and to like go back in because you're also not really getting, you're never getting, especially in movies, you're never going to get a picture of reality. If you really want reality, you got, you got documentaries, but like, you know, you can open a book or call up, uh, you know, someone who's over the age of 60 <laughs> and, uh, you know, see, see how it was actually like or, you know, a certain opinions. That said, I think that if somebody decided that this stuff is just too much crap nonsense that they can't get into it, like, I think I would understand that. Yeah. I mean, my wife has a lot of trouble watching these sorts of things for that very reason. It's just, you know, the the uh, the dialogue that gets put in the, in the mouths of women is oh, it's pretty atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, and just, yeah, the, you, you said it already. It's the, just this, this uh, men's idea of what women want is, you know, it's, it's, it's absurd. And uh, yeah, she can't watch it for that, that reason. And I, and I understand, but I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not condoning it, but it's, you know, I guess there's a, there's enough of a sociologist in me to, to just find it really interesting. Yeah. Why is it? I mean, uh, I don't actually know how old you are, but I'm, I, I'm definitely presuming you were not born <laughs> in the sixties or were alive for this. Um, no, I was born in 73. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. So like, so, why, why are we both? Into- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, I, I, or, I mean, I think we're always kind of interested in um, what our what our parents were were into when they were our age, and I think some of some of it's that for me. I mean, you you went to your mother for rec- movie recommendations, and I think you know, I, I I think about what my parents were, you know, which oh, you know, just did they did they see psycho in the theater and did they know what the what the big twist was in it and did it did it have the the effect on them that it did on on uh on everybody else and i i i I mean i think it's that whole it's that whole generational thing that 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 keeps coming up in these movies um that's that's part of my interest anyway but not i mean i think also i'm i'm just interested in that this the 60s were such a time of uh, social change like civil rights and you know the, the women's movement at the at the end and and you know just you know hippies and, and sexual revolution and you know all that and it's just you know seeing how that gets reflected in the movies from the time is or how it doesn't <laughs> or how it doesn't yeah is really interesting yeah i think it's an interesting 
It's a definitely an interesting decade, and it's definitely right now there has been this sort of mid-century with Mad Men, this resurgence of, of interest in the style of the 60s. But even that style is a sort of interpreted 2018 version of it, especially you know all the furniture stores like West Elm or CB2 or all of you know Crate and Barrel in general, like all these William Sonoma stuff. You, you find all this like 60s styled things but when you actually go back and look at things from the 60s it's it's really weirdly different it's it's actually not at all what you expected it to be um which is i think why you know like uh, uh how to succeed at business is one of the, the rare moments where it actually looks exactly like <laughs> like what you sort of expected to be but I'll, yeah. one thing that um, kind of annoys me and i think one reason why it i find it important to look back at these movies as I remember in college, I, I was in some course on, on uh, the late 60s, and there was some discussion where the girl had, uh, another girl raised her hand and said something along the lines of like, you should all go see this movie across the universe. It just came out and it's really wonderful. And it just like, it really like shows you so much about the 60s. And I was sitting there, at, you know, as a belligerent jerk, I am. And I, I like I, I raised my hand afterwards and was like, why don't you watch a movie from the 60s? <laughs> you know, like I, this sort of like reinterpretation stuff, you know, the movies from the 60s are abundant and, and available and very watchable. You know, if you loved Mad Men, if you love these sort of mid-century stuff, if you love the style, if you like all of that, you should you can find stuff that's really great. Granted, you might have to sort of recalibrate uh, your, I guess, pacing, you know, these movies are definitely, they're not edited quickly. Typically, uh, you know, they're, they're the, there's a lot more dialogue. There's a lot less action. There's a lot more time wasting, <laughs> but like that stuff is Yeah. Those fun. Matt Helm movies in particular, are, you know, for how goofy they are, they're awfully slow moving. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> A lot, a lot, and a lot of them are, you know, there, there's, there's always some moment where, you know, you got to just like, accept that, like, you're watching two people have a conversation and it doesn't always mean something super important. It'll get you somewhere like the, you know, it's not like a waste of time, but it's never like the, these, I feel like we're very used to a uh, dialogue now that like is either setting up something that is a is going to have an immediate payoff or is it like, you know, you know where where's the girl she's over there great and then the you know the camera moves <laughs> whereas you know these movies are they're definitely older movies are a little slower but i don't know I, I there's so much to enjoy and even i would say even if you don't love the full movie you're going to love aspects of it you know if you already love Mad Men. yeah and, and there's also just such a range of things i mean you've got these you know fairly non-narrative, just, uh, you know, associative Godard movies um, th that um, there, there is as out there as, uh, as in, you know, any movie that, that gets made now. But, and there, but there's, you know, you've also got The Sound of Music. So you've got these, like, these extremes. And I, I think that's also what's really interesting about the 60s is that it's not, it's not just one thing. There's this sort of push and pull between like the you know the young the young upstarts and then the, the old hollywood regime and uh 
to you know sort of looking at both sides at the same time i think is really interesting for sure and, and i also think that it's because of when we were born we can't have the you know the 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 knowledge of the 60s that the people who who lived through it do but i also think that that we have the advantage of uh of not having it clouded by nostalgia the way that you know a lot of you know 60s 60s websites or you know i don't know did mtv ever do a special vh1 i'm sure did a 60s uh you know looking back at the 60s but it's just this you know i i think we'll probably be able to Though we won't be able to connect what's happening in the movies that we're watching to what was happening at the time, as well as somebody who lived through it would, we, we'll, we'll I think we'll we'll probably be able to cut through the bullshit a little bit better. <laughs> we're gonna take down the sound of music. <laughs> I don't hate the sound of music. Well, I kind of hate the sound of music. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know. So uh, stay tuned, and uh, we're we're gonna take you through the wonderful world of the '60s. Right? When we just, <laughs> when we, yeah, when we, <laughs> I want to keep going. You've been listening to Cinema 60 with Bartolaro and Jenna Ipcar. Our theme song is Io la conoscevo bene by Piero Piccioni. Our closing theme is Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. Check out our website for new episodes and supplemental material at cinema-60.com. That is cinema-60.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema60Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah,